I want to do uh, part five of Elijah, which means that we are in 1 Kings chapter 19. Just got now into chapter 19 of uh, 1 Kings. So if you have a Bible, you'll want to open it there to 1 Kings chap, uh, chapter 19 for part 5. And in this, uh, in this passage, we're going to do, deal with a, uh, a, uh, a situation that uh, many people find themselves in from time to time, and that's the situation of just being depressed, being just down in the dumps. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter who you are. You know, the Bible says, when you go back to the first of this study, it's in the book of James, that Elijah is somebody just like we are. He is a man who has the same emotional state that we have. Um, he is a man of, I think it says, like passion or something, but it means that he's a man who has a, who has a soul, which means that he's an emotional creature, as well as, of course, a spiritual creature. Um, and all of us have to deal with, uh, our, each of us has to deal with his own soul, his emotional state. It has been said that the, that the flesh man, the physical man, uh, has a, has an awareness of his surroundings and the soulish man, the soul man, the emotional man has an awareness of himself and his relationships, and the spirit man ha is aware of his relationship with his creator. And that spirit man is the one that has to be awakened, it has to be rebirthed, it has to be regenerated by the creator uh, for us to establish that meaningful relationship, for, the, for him to establish the meaningful relationship with us. Well, here we're dealing with, uh, for the most part, we're dealing with uh, the emotional state of Elijah. And there, there are some good points here that are made that, uh, that can really fit into every one of our lives. So this is, this is an interesting study on uh, why people can become depressed. And uh, when, we know, when we know the reasons for depression, at least as they're given in this particular passage in the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 here, um, we, can, we can better identify uh, things in life that would help us to, to remain positive uh, and, and forward thinking. So after the victory now, we just have seen previously that... Uh, Elijah had won a, a great victory over the 450 prophets of Baal, Baal, on Carmel. Well, when that happened, a great revival broke out in Israel, you can imagine. So Elijah, the guy who, whom God used to start that whole thing, that revival, is needed by the people. He's needed as the spiritual leader now uh, to help keep this revival going and growing because there are still a couple of other people that are not real happy, namely the king Ahab and uh, his wife Jezebel. And of course Jezebel is not happy. So they're going to remain a threat to Yahweh and to the worship of Yahweh and to the God of Elijah and the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel. 
they're still on the throne. They're still there, although um, although uh, Elijah has won this great victory. He's needed, though, to help reestablish the worship of Yahweh in Israel. Now, the devil knew that. And he has someone sitting in a throne, on a throne, uh, that, uh, that he can use to attack Elijah in a way that uh, Elijah was really not prepared for. So let's, let's look at it here and keep in mind everything that has happened in Elijah's life uh, just recently. Uh, the, the great victory that he, that he won over the prophets of Baal uh, the prophets of Baal, and um, how he's needed now to keep this this revival of Yahweh worship and the cleansing of the land from Baal worship uh, at this time. So what we're going to do now, and we're going to look at, oh, let's look at the first four verses of 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets uh, that would be the prophets of Baal, Baal with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying so let the gods do to me and more also, if about this time tomorrow I do not make your life as the life of one of them. In other words, I'm going to kill you within 24 hours. I'm coming for you. All right. This is the threat. This is the intimidation. Now, Elijah had been so good to follow God's command when God said, for example, I will bless you there. Go there and do thus and so. And Elijah would have learned by now that he's not to leave where God put him until God sends him somewhere else. But his emotions, his fear, which is a part of emotion, a part of your emotional life and mine, everybody's, he was intimidated and he thought too much about it. He dwelt, he, he dwelt too much on Jezebel and not enough on Yahweh. And this was the beginning of his mistake. And so it, uh, and next it goes on, it says, And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went into the wilderness a, a day's, another day's journey and came and sat down under a, a broom tree, a, a broom shrub. And he prayed for himself that he might die and said, now it is enough, Yahweh. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now he's having a pity party and he's feeling real bad about things. So we're going to think about how what has happened to Elijah at this point. 
he is entering into a state of depression. He's, he's become inward. He's, he's looking inward and he's only looking to himself and not looking anywhere else except to Jezebel who made the threat. So the first thing we're going to have to notice is that he was physically exhausted. He would have, after that, after all that he had done, the run that he had made and then another day's journey and so forth, he would have had nothing left physically uh, within himself. And this is where people begin to make mistakes and uh, it can even affect the soul man and the spirit man. The fight at, at Carmel with the prophets of Baal ensued at the brook that was called Kishon. You'll remember that in our last study. And you can figure that the prophets of Baal were not alone and they were Jezebel's favorite. And when the swords started swinging, when they saw that their God had lost, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have just rolled over and said, go ahead and stab me with the sword. They'd have fought back. 450 of them, that's a pretty good group of, of men. That would have been a physically demanding thing. Not only was it spiritually exhausting for Elijah, it was physically exhausting. So they, they would fight. Then uh, Ahab would report to Jezebel. Jezebel would say, tell her messenger, go find that guy and tell him I'm going to have him dead within 24 hours. So he outran Ahab's chariot to Jezebel. He ran a distance of 18 miles. He ran 18 miles. That's, that's a marathon run. That's, you know, these people run 20, 25 miles, whatever, in marathon runs. But he wasn't just setting a pace. This guy ran for his life for 18 miles. So now Jezebel is threatening a weary, an already weary Elijah who continues to exhaust himself in his, in his fear of Jezebel. And now he, obviously, it, it gets to the point where he can't think clearly. And so he instinctively runs away from the presence of Jezebel then from Jezreel to Beersheba, which is another 95 miles. Now, what's 95 miles away from where I am right now? I, it's, it's further away than Birmingham. If I got on I-65 and ran from, from the Decatur area all the way to Birmingham, that still is not 95 miles. And he ran that distance. I mean, this guy, okay, he runs 18 miles. Now he runs another 95 miles. And then verse 4 says, he went another day's journey into the wilderness and sat down under a a big shrub, I think most translations would say a juniper tree. And then he said, God, I want to die. I'm no good. I'm tired of this. I'm no good. I just did all this stuff on Carmel and nothing is any better than it was. I just want to die. People, when they get into a severe state of depression, start thinking about wanting to die. Thinking that I'm no good. There's nothing left for me. I'm a failure. Everything I've done has just collapsed and it's, it's no good at all. 
So we can add to his physical exhaustion, his spiritual exhaustion. Uh, because of what had happened, he had confronted hell itself on Carmel in the, in, in the 450 prophets of Baal. And I can tell you, and many of you know, that spiritual battles are far more exhausting than physical battles. So Elijah was falling apart. He was falling apart physically. He was falling apart emotionally. And then when he addresses Yahweh like that, he's falling apart spiritually in the sense that he's trying to hold himself up in a spiritual battle. We can't do that. Spiritual, you're not, you and I are not, without the Lord, without the strength of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're not equipped for spiritual battles. We have, we're totally dependent upon the Lord. This is where Elijah was really, was really getting off, off the path here. He was thinking of, you know, it's all about what I've got to do, what it's all about me. I, I, I'm going to have to hold this thing up, and I can't. I don't have the strength to do it, and she's going to kill me, and there's nothing I've done that's any good. And in such a state, he was unaware of his of his need for rest. He was unaware of his need for refreshment. And he's entering, obviously, into a deeper state of depression. So the first characteristic is he was physically exhausted. Secondly, the second characteristic is he feared the future. Now he's looking at the future through his own eyes. Eyes of fear, eyes of a man that has been intimidated and he's running in fear from the chariot of Jezebel. So it says here, uh, it says over here that uh, he, he got up, he got up and ran for his life. He, <laughs> he thought that now you think of all that God has done for him at the Brook Kareth and with the widow at Zedaphath. And now all of a sudden, what has happened to him? Uh, why is he thinking uh, that he's going to have to take care of his life himself? God has taken care of him all the way. He even gave him this great victory on Carmel but he starts thinking of the future. And I tell you, if you look at the future through your own eyes, it can depress you. Uh, you, you can see insurmountable problems uh, and you know that you're headed for those problems. I mean, you know, you can have, as one guy said, I have more bills in my, I have more month than I have money. Uh, I don't have money after the month. I have month left after the money and I'm, I'm owing debts and I'm financially crushed. Or you can look at uh, any one of a, of, of a number of other aspects of life and looking into the future with your own eyes, especially when you're already collapsed into a spirit of, of negativity and a spirit of, of, of depression and intimidation, uh, it can be really depressing when you look at the future from the wrong perspective. Now, Elijah was looking at the future through Jezebel's eyes because Jezebel was the one who had threatened him. 
And for some reason, the voice of Jezebel at this point was louder than the voice of Yahweh in, in Elijah's life. And he was beginning to fail. Elijah was beginning to fail. Uh, he simply was not prepared for her in this sense for some reason. She was, she was, Jezebel was possessed of the devil. She was fresh. She was energized and ready by the preparation of the devil. Elijah was depleted. Elijah was tired. Elijah was weakened. And his soul, his emotional state, was ready to shut down because of the overload. And the shutdown is seen in his desire to die. So he's operating now on nothing but instinct to survive. What had happened to this great servant of God? Our hero from times past that we've been studying, what's happened to him? Unlike his motivations at Kerith and Tzedaphat, where he went to where God said for him to go and then he stayed where God said for him to stay until God told him to move. He took his circumstances into his own hands and instead of waiting on God to tell him what to do when Jezebel was racing in her chariot toward him with her murdering assassins to kill him, instead of waiting on God, he took off. It says he arose and he ran for his life. That was a mistake for him. Everybody makes mistakes, even the great Elijah. He made a terrible mistake, and he, he, puts his own, he puts his circumstances into his own hands. And his eye was more on Jezebel than it was on Yahweh. And he's ready just to shut down. That's what happened to him. In his moment of weakness, he took his eyes off God. And all he could see was Jezebel and he couldn't hear the word of God anymore. All he could hear was the word of Jezebel, the threats of Jezebel. But the Lord knew the condition of his servant. He always knows. He's not through with Elijah. And so when God, when God calls you into service, even when you collapse under a juniper tree, God is still always there ready to do what it takes to get you out from under the juniper tree. And this is the way it was with uh, Elijah. At this particular moment, Elijah had failed. And so the third characteristic of, 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 of depression is to suffer a sense of failure. Low self-esteem in service to God. It, it's an, now, oh Yahweh, this is enough. Just let me die, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. That's how he saw himself. For all that he had accomplished in his day, all he could see was what he hadn't accomplished. Now, Baal worship, the Baal worship had been effective in Israel, in stopping Israel uh, from worshiping Yahweh. And at the head of that was Jezebel, a priestess of Baal. 
And she was still on the throne. She's still the queen of Israel. So this must have been what ran through his mind. He saw, he saw the powerful Jezebel as the queen who had an army and had chariots. And now he had killed 450 prophets of Baal, but all she had to do was import more prophets from Sidon. Just bring more of them in and keep bringing them in because this, as I've described earlier in this study, this, this worship of Baal was sensual and it was very enticing and it was something that the people thought they really, really enjoyed, although it was all fleshly. So he says, I failed. She's just going to keep this up and keep it up and keep it up. And I'm the I'm, I'm, I'm only one guy here, but she keeps, she would keep bringing in these prophets. She has this endless supply over there in Sidon of, of prophets and priests of Baal who would keep coming. He just thought he'd failed. And he figured nobody cared. He's out there by himself. He's run all that distance. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And he, he couldn't think of anybody who could help him in his work. As a matter of fact, he, he left his servant behind. So his self-esteem was gone. His, he, he had entered into a battle that he didn't know how to fight because he's so exhausted in every way. He is physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. He opened himself up on too many fronts and he had left the place where God told him to be and now he is vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. A sense of personal failure is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. A negative, pessimistic attitude uh, can, really, can really drag a person down into the depths of, of depression and those depths can be so dark as seen in Elijah's life. Those depths can be so dark that death would be preferable to life as it was at that moment in the sojourn of Elijah. Well, the fourth thing that I would note about depression is that uh, the, the, the fourth characteristic of depression would be loneliness to have a sense of being alone, a, a, sense, a sense of loneliness that is conjured up in the person's own mind. Verse 3 said that he left his servant behind, and then he goes on, he says, and I, and then he on down there, he says, and he says, I think it's around verse 10 or so, he says, and I, um, and I alone am left. I'm the only one. I can't handle this. It's too much for me. To be totally alone is to be consumed with negative thoughts when a person is already exhausted like this and it fills him, he filled himself with thoughts of, of self-pity and the desire for death, and that's dangerous. It's not natural, although some people do it, but it's not natural for most people to praise themselves. It's natural for us to get down on ourselves. It takes others to encourage us and to, and to lift us up. Because we, we really have a hard time. We really have a, a hard time doing that our, ourselves. I read in a book, a man talked about the parable of the onion. Uh, an onion 
is a very strong presence. It's strong. It is, it is strong enough to do a lot of things, although it is never seemingly appreciated. The bride doesn't carry an onion down the aisle. Uh, the husband doesn't bring a vase of onions to his wife uh, to express his love and appreciation for her. And the guy taking the girl to the prom doesn't pin an onion on her dress, you know. But still, the onion is a very strong presence. It, it, can, it can flavor many, many, many meals it can do a lot of things and oftentimes is just unappreciated, but it's powerful and it's useful. And because it is so strong, it's really never praised. Not many, and every once in a while, you know, I might taste, oh man, the onion tastes good in this. It's rare. You don't really think about bragging on an onion, do you? Probably Elijah was so strong in the presence of others that they may have thought, well, you know, he doesn't really need this encouragement. He's the top of the chain here. He, he's, he's, his presence is so strong, it probably, people found it difficult to make an expression of praise or encouragement or appreciation. Even Elijah didn't realize that he had a need for companionship because he left his servant behind. Well, interest, by the way, interestingly, some scholars believe that his servant was actually the son of the widow that he had brought back to life, the, the widow in Sadafet. That's food for thought. But you know, now more than ever, Elijah needed somebody to minister to him. And he didn't have anybody. And he was He was alone. We need others. We need encouragers. And God himself said it's not good for man to be alone. And without those encouragers, we, we, it's natural for us to lose self-esteem and become consumed with a, with a sense of failure. Well, okay, physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, afraid of the future, uh, a sense, a deep sense of personal failure, a deep sense of loneliness, seeing death as preferable to life, Elijah truly is falling to pieces. And so here in the passage, he looks up to heaven and he says, God, I just want to die. I'm no better than anybody that's ever been before me and I'm no good to you. I just, I just want to die. Well, let's, let's go on here in the passage. Um, let's, let's start with, uh, down about verse five, I guess. And as he lay and slept under the broom tree, under the juniper tree, behold, this angel touched him and said to him, Arise, get up, stand up, get up, arise, rise up, and eat. So under this tree, under this shrub, the, Elijah was all slumped. 
He just didn't have any strength. He didn't care for anything. He just, just wanted to die. So he just slumped over down on the ground. This angel says, and touched him. The angel touched him so that he would know the angel was there. Get up and eat. And he looked and there was by his head a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and again he lay down. He's still tired. He's exhausted. He just wants to sleep. People who are depressed just want to sleep a lot, you know. The angel of Yahweh came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. I love this. Because the journey is too great for you. Uh. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, Horeb, the mountain of God. That, that would be Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him. Mm. He hadn't heard that in a while, you know. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> what are you doing in a cave, man? So he said, I have been very, uh, I've been very zealous for Yahweh, God of armies, God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before Yahweh. And behold, Yahweh passed by. And a great and mighty wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before Yahweh. But Yahweh was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But Yahweh was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire, a thin whispering voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for Yahweh, God of armies, God of hosts, because the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword and I alone am left and they seek my life to take it. He's pretty convinced of his testimony, isn't he? And Yahweh said to him, thank God, Yahweh would still speak to him. 
Yahweh said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. You're not in the right place. You were weak and I've strengthened you. You needed rest and I let you have rest. But a cave here by yourself, this is not where I put you. This is not where you're supposed to be. You go this way. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And Yahu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint as king over Israel. And Elisha, Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel Mecholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Ooh, you're going to be done with you now. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword, God's about to do something. Whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Yahu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Yahu, Elisha, Elisha, will kill. And yet I have reserved in Israel 7,000 all of whose knees have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth and every one of their mouths has not kissed him. Now, I, I'm going to take note of five things here. How God brought him out of his depressed, his deep depression, his depressed state. And they're found in verses 5 through 16 here. It's interesting that God did not immediately respond to Elijah's cry when Elijah said, kill me. I don't want him to live. Okay, so... He didn't even, because he knew, you know, this is, this is not the guy. This is not the guy that I sent out. He knew that this request for death was, was coming from a baser existence within Elijah and not the real Elijah. So God uses these five steps to restore Elijah and bring him out of this deep state of depression. Number one, God sent an angel to minister to him. Angels are ministering spirits. The Bible says so. More times than we may realize, God sends angels to watch over us, especially in our weakest moments. I'm convinced of it. This angel came to Elijah as he slept. And he protected his time of rest because Elijah needed the time of rest and recovery. And this angel watched over Elijah's rest and his physical recovery, his physical needs, without which Elijah would have never had the strength to continue in his service to Yahweh. So God recognized Elijah's need great need for physical rest. So number one, he sent an angel to minister to him. Number two, God, through the ministering servant, provided refreshment for Elijah. The angel fed Elijah. 
baked him a cake of bread on coals. His energy had been consumed. He had nothing left. And so between Elijah's time of sleeping, the angel fed Elijah and gave him water so that he could be physically restored. His body could be re-energized. Third thing, number three, God made Elijah realize that a man has physical limitations. And we are not equipped to go beyond those limitations. I love it. The, in verse, I think verse 7, somewhere along in there, the angel said to Elijah, the journey is too great for you. Huh, man. We need to hear that sometimes. Elijah had taken on too much for himself. He refused to consider, didn't even think about his physical limitations, what he was doing to himself and all that running and 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 escaping of Jezebel's chariot. He had to learn to pace himself and to work within his physical limits. He had spent his physical limits on Carmel and now without even asking God about it, he forces himself beyond those physical limits. He was prepared for Carmel physically. But God would have had him rest and he didn't do it. So God, he went to a cave to hide here, but he's growing stronger now. Elijah is growing stronger, but he's hiding in a cave and that's not where you can serve God. So God asked Elijah, why are you here? Why are you here, Elijah? (laughs) This is not where God put him in that sense, you know. In a very gentle and personal way, God reminded Elijah that he needed to find the place of service where God would put him, where God could use him. That's where Elijah needed to be, not in a cave. So God began to cause Elijah to refocus on God, on Yahweh. The earthquake, no. The great wind, no. The fire, no. The thin little whisper. That's what draw that's what drew Elijah out of the cave. And that's when Yahweh spoke to him. Now he's focused back on Yahweh. And the fifth thing that God did finally to deliver him from this state of depression, he put him back to work. He told Elijah to go back to work. He said, you have to anoint two kings and one prophet. And the one that you're going to anoint as a prophet will take your place. And then everything will be all right and I'll be done with you. Essentially, God said to Elijah, you know, I brought you out of Gilead to do a work for me. You've accomplished a lot. I still need you to do a few more things. Your work is not quite over. You thought you had failed but I have seen what you could not see. 7,000 still in Israel. 
They've never kissed the idol nor bowed their knees to Baal. 7,000. You said you're alone. I'm telling you there's 7,000 others. Every bit as good as you are. 7,000. And you have been a, God would, the implication is you've been a strength, you've been a source of strength and encouragement to those 7,000. And I'm not through using you in their behalf yet. Elijah, my work goes beyond you. So you have to understand that your outlook isn't my outlook. Your math doesn't equal up to my math. The way you see things is not the way that I see things. God says you, you take everything and you've added it up to zero because you want to die, which would take you out of the equation. That means that zero would be left according to your math. But I've added it all up and I have 7,000. I will use Hazael, the king of Syria, the king of Aram. I will use Yahu as king of Israel. And then I'll use Elisha, Elisha as a prophet to take your place. And now, you just need to do this. This is all I need you to do. Your rest is over. Your strength is renewed. This part of your life is over. So go back to work. Finish the work, and then you'll be done. And I'll, I'll start using Elisha to take your place. It's a great story on how God can deal with us, especially when we are in situations where we might, for whatever reason, collapse into failure and just become depressed. How to overcome that depression according to the life of Elijah. Thank you for joining in tonight. Father God in heaven, when we think of Elijah, we think of so many ways where our lives parallel his. But we also understand that we have a great need to listen carefully to the spiritual whisper that comes to remind us that the work that you have prepared in us is just not over yet until you've called us away. So Father, even in this time, use us as you see fit and when we emerge from this time, use us in greater ways to your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.